Hi, it's Ms. Okada, and this podcast is episode 6 of season 2. This will be a year-long series where I will be reviewing books that I read in 2021. Why? Because I set a goal for the year 2021 to read at least 12 books. I've surpassed my goal last month, but I'm going to keep going, and maybe I'll reach a new goal of 24 books. I might as well put my thoughts of the books into words. Keep in mind... There are spoilers in these episodes, so if you're planning on reading the books I've listed in the description, I would skip this episode. Today, I'm reviewing the books I read for the month of June. Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala, There There by Tommy Orange, and I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez. June is the end of the school year. June is when there is that final push, then final breath of relief. And this June was a month that I was looking forward to the most in my 18 years of teaching. It was bittersweet as I said goodbye to those kids I thankfully connected with and goodbye to those I couldn't quite connect with because of this year's high flex teaching. I taught the best I could under the circumstances and made as many connections that I could with my corny jokes and speaking from my heart but this year was just difficult. I saw a lot of ceiling fans and tops of students' foreheads online. The connections with kids I was able to make were not as strong as years past, but I tried my best and I hope it was a good year for them in my classes. Reading books then for me was a relief from the stress of the school year and the books this month gave me that much needed stress relief. They were funny, sad, and hopeful. Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala is a fun little read about the main character, Lila Macapagal, who is back at home after a breakup, helping her tita Rosie manage her restaurant when a food critic who has said some terrible things about the restaurant dies in the restaurant. The story, of course, unfolds because A, that dead food critic was Lila's ex-boyfriend, B, the stepfather of the food critic owns the building which the restaurant is housed, And C, there's always the meddling aunties, best friends, best enemies, and handsome men coming in and out of the scenes. So of course the restaurant's in trouble, and of course Lila is accused, and of course the meddling aunties are trying to fix up Lila with every random man that comes through the door, and of course Lila is a talented pastry cook, and of course her friendships struggle a bit. Every rom-com mystery trope you can think of, this book has it. This novel was a BuzzFeed recommended read, so I knew it was going to be a quick and easy one with silly characters and a pretty campy premise. Basically, a beach read. And it didn't disappoint. It was exactly what I needed to check out of life for a moment and dive into a silly mystery. This would definitely fit into my category of pastel mysteries that I talked about earlier this year in a past episode. The killer was an easy guess with easy to spot red herrings along the way. The characters were quirky and lovable, with that tinge of annoying secondary characters always in the periphery. The fault of the main character are still lovable and forgivable, and I enjoyed every morsel of Filipino illusions, including phrases and foods. I craved all those usual Filipino delicacies, and the recipes in the back of the book was perfect. Easy, quick read without a whole lot of thinking. There, There by Tommy Orange follows 12 characters from Native communities leading to an event at the Big Oakland Powwow in California. 
The characters from Cheyenne and Arapaho nations are all preparing for their time at the big Oakland powwow in their own ways to reclaim their identities, some with honorable intent, some with ill intent. They are all a product of their ancestors, their parents, their upbringing, poverty, the oppression of their people. They all have purpose to their journey, like Orville, who is going to the powwow hoping to claim his identity as a Native American by dancing traditional dances with traditional clothing for the first time. And Dine, Oxendeen, who begins a documentary film project in memory of his uncle to collect the stories of the Native people. And Jackie Redfeather, who is newly sober, looking to connect back to her identity, a part of the Native community and a part of her family. This book was by no means an easy read. And by that, I mean that it was a heavy hearted read. The Native American identities are fraught with so much trauma and to write a story about these characters without truly delving into the ugly parts of our society would be doing the communities injustice. The urban Native American narrative is a complex menagerie of pain and suffering. Behind it all is a beautiful spiritual communion with its inherited connection to the land. But in an urban setting, in our present, the history of pain overshadows the true spiritual identity of the natives, of the Cheyenne, the Arapaho, the Lakota. And of course, with this era of pandemic, I'm sure this has made a chemical mark in our own DNA. This novel deals with poverty, substance abuse, suicide, and violence. The language used is definitely tinged with anger and a whole lot of cursing. At times, it was difficult to keep up with the characters that weaved in and out throughout because of the choppy nature of some of the individual stories. But the list of the characters um, at the beginning of the novel was really helpful for me. In order to understand more of the issues before I did this podcast, I did some research and started with understanding epigenetics. So I've done some research prior, but thought I should brush up on it because if I'm going to talk about it, I should know about it. So epigenetics is where trauma can be passed down from one generation to the next as genetic marks. It's not a genetic mutation, but rather a chemical mark on a gene that can be passed down to future generations. So according to Martha Henriquez's article on BBC from March 2019, and I'll link the article in the description. It's the process, and I quote, where the readability or expression of genes is modified without changing the DNA code itself. Tiny chemical tags are added to or removed from our DNA in response to changes in environment in which we are living. These tags turn genes on or off, offering a way of adapting to changing conditions without inflicting a more permanent shift in our genomes. And close quotation. The article focuses on the studies done on grandchildren of survivors of Civil War POW camps and children of Holocaust survivors, but the same study results, I think, would apply here. It's a pretty long article, but if you're interested in this phenomenon, it's a really great read. And if you yourself are feeling the effects of your parents' or grandparents' trauma, this would be really interesting for you as well. If they lived through war, the depression, famine, etc., and the Native American communities have felt these traumas generation after generation and the continued oppression of their culture because of socioeconomic situations that are out of their control, poverty, unmonitored mental health issues, and lack of resources, including proper health and education infrastructures available. The Native American communities suffer. 
it shocked and saddened me to read that for Native youth, suicide is the second leading cause of death and that the rates of suicide in the Native community is highest across all ethnic and racial groups in the United States, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's National Center for Health Statistics. And the substance abuse rates in Native Americans are higher than other ethnic and racial groups as well. The many studies and articles I read cited factors like prevalence of gang, domestic, sexual violence, poverty, unemployment, lack of health insurance, and low levels of education. But they also cited historical trauma. I know from my education that the Native communities have been violently mistreated in the past by our government. And these traumas, I believe, have been passed down from generation to generation because people have had to adapt, suppress, and hide their Native identities. This novel highlights these issues, all of them, in a profound way. And it leads me to wonder, how do we fix this? How do we change this? This is beyond my comprehension, and I'm at a total loss. The novel's characters also ask these questions. How do we fix the trauma? How do we move beyond it? How many generations will it take to fix the mistakes of those that came before us? I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez is a young adult novel about Julia, a first-generation Mexican-American girl in her teens, waiting to finally leave her home in Chicago to go off to college and start her life beyond the expectations of her family. Her older sister, Olga, dies in a tragic bus accident, leaving Julia, the protagonist, as a sole child to fulfill the role of the perfect Mexican daughter. The expectations that are put upon Julia weighs heavy on her, and in order to cope, she goes on a mission to find out about her perfect sister, Olga's secrets. Meanwhile, she discovers more about her mother, her father, and most importantly, about herself. Trigger warning here, there is an attempted suicide. I think that many immigrants carry a lot of trauma, and immigrants don't necessarily share these stories with their children. New country, new life, move beyond the past trauma, right? What our immigrant parents don't realize... <clears throat> What our immigrant parents don't realize is that we, as children of immigrants, feel that trauma seep into our being through the expectations that are put upon us, and we wonder what the root of the expectations originate. The novel Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng I read back in March deals with the same thing. In fact, reading this novel, I felt a kind of Spanish deja vu. The author's style is obviously very different, but the same basic idea of a child of immigrants struggling to bridge the old and new worlds in the wake of a death of the eldest sibling permeates both stories. Julia is a sassy character, and I really enjoyed her voice, point of view. I was laughing out loud from page one with the way she would describe her sister in the coffin. It felt wrong to laugh since everyone else in the funeral is devastated, rightly so, and sad for the loss of Olga. But Julia's rebellion against all expectations, even at her sister's funeral, to not be a perfect Mexican daughter, is evident from the get-go. I enjoyed every angsty thought, every sassy comment, even the cringy teenage party scenes. In general, I enjoyed the sort of casual style of writing. It read quickly and easily. 
The story itself was also filled with twists and turns that I sometimes didn't see coming, but I think it was true to the experience of a teenager who was ready to fly the coop and begin their lives beyond the expectations set forth by their parents. Yes, it is a YA book, but it was a very good coming-of-age story, and I think that many of my teenage students would see themselves in Julia, while adults would remember what it was like to be in Julia's shoes. The three novels I chose to read this month were from three different backgrounds, ethnicities, ages, and cultures. I did this on purpose because I want to fill this podcast with different perspectives that maybe you wouldn't hear or see from another reading list. Or maybe it'll inspire you to choose some books from other cultures or experiences than you normally would read. This year's reading goal has taught me a few things about diversity, and it's helped me reflect on my own biases. Yes, European historical fiction still enthrall me, and I love a good turn-of-the-century novel set in the United States for sure. And classics? Oh, I love classics. Jane Eyre? Thank you. Charles Dickens? Why not? Emily Dickinson? Of course. But I'm finding these other authors and voices speak to my soul too, and it's been fun researching beyond my readings as well. This month was three books in 960 pages, so the book count for 2021 so far. 15 books, 4,395 pages. Thank you for listening.